Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on January the 25th, 2015. I've often said we're the most informed slaves who've ever existed because the big boys and all their thousands of foundations and organizations and NGOs and groups and world meetings and so on, they publish what they're up to and where they're going. And it's quite fascinating until you get bored with it all because you'll have it your whole life long. And if you were born in a previous generation, you'd have it then too. And then the ones that come after will have it as well. They like to publish what they're up to. And if you go into, for instance, the World Economic Forum uh, and go to scan all their affiliates and the fact that they, they, they choose and groom young global leaders for the future. And who chooses them? Well, the big magnets of interest, industry, those who decide the, what the future is going to be, uh, and big gangs at the top. Uh, they'll, they, they've already got them all picked and they're training them and so on. And they'll be the, the spokespeople for the future to take over from the well-known names, you know, today who always get immediate access to the press and the doors are open for them for whatever they do. It's quite interesting. It's the same as common purpose just for the European Union, uh, all picked as young leaders and so on by the group and groomed for their sort of communistic, socialistic, fascistic future of this uh, this world system they're bringing into play. And really there's nothing going to stop it because the general population don't get a vote on any part of it whatsoever. It's kind of extra uh, governmental, you might say, although your governments are all involved in it. But... Um, it's so amazingly vague in a sense that uh, it's not written into the laws of any country that they must go along with anything at all like this. And so it's done by simply uh, the fact that everyone acquiesces to the fact that these new organizations, or some of them are pretty old actually, have some sort of governmental or international authority, and we simply accept it as that. And those organizations then write the laws and sign, they get signed into treaty automatically by our governments because they're told what to do by the big boys at the top, the, the big magnets of power and finance. And this is how it's all done today. So we're too are, are informed. There's nothing, there's, there's no such thing as breaking news or who breaks news first. As I say, it's all out there. It's always published for you if you want to dig into anything at all. And you simply repeat what they're up to and so on. Most folk don't really care because it seems to be so vague to them. It's above their heads, it's above their ability to do anything about. Uh, that's what they feel because it is extra uh, or supranational in a, in a sense. And your politicians will all vain uh, ignorance of it or, or, or feign ignorance to, of it and pretend they know nothing about it and there's nothing they can do about it either. So this is the con game of the, the, the joke of democracy uh, that we're talk, we, we actually have. It's something that we, we vote for kin, and that's the last you can... That's the only right that you have, actually, is to vote for kin. And it's whoever they present to you to vote for, uh, who you'll vote for if you vote at all. Lots of folk in countries today don't bother voting. They know it's a complete farce and that everyone's hand-picked long before you hear their names to choose from. So... This is how bad it truly is in this system today. And there's only a few really interesting, again, stories to give us lots of stories. A story just, remember, a story doesn't mean truth, and very few stories are, are, are completely truthful. They're generally spun, and many of them are fake altogether. 
there's a lot of psyops going on to military organizations putting out fake news uh, and reports and so on too. They get right into the mainstream media. And again, they're parted by the general public. So this is the this is the matrix that you're living through today of deception and mind-bending stuff and lots of predictive programming to get you used to what's to come along in the future. And in fact, that's why, for instance, like the, the World Economic Forum uh, that publishes so much of its data to the general public because the world eventually, the world eventually gets out to the general population and you come to expect the things they're talking about to come to pass without really thinking too much about it. Uh, it's interesting, the whole, the whole technique of forming words and into sentences and speaking it out. And the level of the person who's speaking it out happens to be at can influence a whole world. It's quite fascinating altogether. And how if it's like a person you're, you've been trained to believe is very important, then uh, it has more authority, it carries more weight with it, whatever you're saying. And you're influenced by it, whether you know it or like it or not. That's, that's how it really is. But this system of democracy is a joke. It was known to be a joke a long time ago by the people who gave you this fake democracy. And they said themselves that democracy really means that the biggest groups will have the biggest voices and those groups will will eventually help run the world. But but on behalf of those who already did, ultra-rich and elite and and uh, CEOs of massive international corporations, the big gang at the top, if you like. And that's exactly what's always been happening. Now, it's interesting about how many folk who are involved in a military-industrial complex from all different ranks and, and stages and, and areas and, and sciences and so on, where you have biological warfare experts, etc., and I and that, that movie I always think back to Twelve Monkeys for those who remember the movie, and it's centered around a guy eventually who who works in the laboratory, who had a disdain for the general population. Too many people, the old the old humdrum story that keep the drum beat that's been going on forever of the eugenicists and so on, and and he releases a virus which kills off a lot of the people, etc. And I'd often thought long before the movie that. How do they keep tabs on their employees? Because when you think about the power that they have, these characters, incredible power when they're working in all these top-secret laboratories, creating, again, paid fantastic sums of money by the taxpayer to find better ways to kill everybody, including the taxpayers. And um, this is our, our rational system we live in. But who's watching these guys? Do they get psychological evaluations every week or whatever, or month? Or Because really, you, you, I mean, if you're working at that all the time, you have to be a bit strange to begin with, mentally, obviously. Or psychopathic. And by the way, they do choose a lot of psychopaths to work in these fields that, that involve getting paid awfully well to find better ways to kill masses of people very quickly and efficiently. So how do they keep tabs on these guys? Really, it's just like 12 monkeys. There has to be some kind of safeguard upon them, surely. And again, if you're psychopathic at all, they, they're, they're paid awfully, awfully well, these scientists, because governments want to make sure that they pay them so incredibly well and so many benefits of all kinds that they'll never take a bribe from an outside source for smuggling something out, for instance. That doesn't guarantee it won't happen. 
But when you take an article like this one, which came in from Canada, you know, Canada uh, is generally, we're kept very quiet in Canada here because folk don't ask many questions, they're pretty passive. But once in a while you get something coming out of the media, and it's about a man called Christopher Phillips, who was based in Nova Scotia, Canada, but he's actually from the U.S., and he worked in the military-industrial complex and biochemical and biowarfare industries. And an oddball story, but it says he's back in Nova Scotia after being arrested on a Canada-wide warrant in Ottawa. It says he was charged, he charged the biochemical weapons specialist with possession of a weapon for a dangerous purpose related to the chemical osmium tetroxide. Now, is that true or not? I mean, see, it could be something else, but this is what they're telling us, is a chemical called osmium tetroxide, according to a police news release. He's charged with uttering threats to police to cause bodily harm or death. And it says the offences are alleged to have happened between December 26th and January 21st. The 42-year-old Cole Harbour man was transported to Nova Scotia from Ottawa on an RCMP plane. And they're searching his cottage in Nova Scotia and different places he's been for any dangerous stuff. But his police and hazardous materials teams are using his red tent, or this, this red tent, they show you the red tent to investigate Nova Scotia cottage linked to Christopher Phillips. And um, it says Nova Scotia RCMP searched two properties linked to Phillips this week and said there is no site contamination at the Coal Harbour property where a suspicious package containing hazardous chemicals was found Tuesday in the garage of the home. Uh, homes around the house were subject to an evacuation order, and and so on and so on. And again, uh, this man, Church, I guess he's in charge of the investigation, wouldn't confirm whether chemicals listed in the court documents were found in the Grand Desert Cottage. So it says, um, the next story is, is on the same topic. It says, his past is told through U.S. court documents. He's got a history of mental illness, uh, legal troubles, and financial problems. And it says, um, Christopher Phillips, ex-bioweapons specialist, is back in Nova Scotia. And it says, the court documents filed in the U.S. shed light on the complicated past of Christopher Burton Phillips, a Halifax man accused of threatening police and possessing uh, dangerous chemicals. He's 42 years old, appeared in court Friday in Halifax, uh, charged with uttering death threats and possessions of a weapon for dangerous purpose. And they got, again, about the same chemical, this, this osmium tetroxide uh, that they, they, they say is very dangerous uh, when, it's, when it's tetroxide. The, the osmium itself, I think, is a, is a metal, but when it's mixed with another chemical, it can become awfully, awfully dangerous. But anyway, it says here that... Um, According to documents filed in Washington State, Phillips served in the Navy during the 1990s. While serving in 92, he injured his feet and required several surgeries. Documents say Phillips was receiving monthly veterans disability benefits of 3750 The injuries caused Phillips chronic pain and led to an addiction to painkillers. And Phillips has continued to struggle with an addiction to opiate narcotics and with various psychiatric illnesses, including mood disorders, anxiety, depression, and suicidal uh, tendencies. His addiction and illnesses led to marital problems, numerous lawsuits in various states, adverse media exposure, and the eventual closing office. He had an ophthalmology practice in 2007. He had a few degrees. 
the documents say. And um, he was diagnosed in 2008 with a major depression and general anxiety. Uh, he's an American-trained doctor with degrees from Oklahoma and Boston. He practiced an ophthalmologist and owned an eye care clinic in Washington State in 2007. Complaints were brought against him by at least five patients, and so he lost that particular job. But he worked as a biochemical weapons expert, I guess, prior to that. He sued um, at least six media organizations, and he obviously has a lot of mental problems. He was formerly married to Olympic gold medalist Shannon Miller, and his current wife, Dr. Gossia Phillips, is a neurologist and sleep expert working uh, for Capital Health. This guy had sleep problems too, maybe that's where he met him, I don't know. So anyway, we don't know all about that, but it shows you these, these guys are walking about there, and, and who's monitoring? Apparently his wife uh, called in that it was up to something, and that's what started this, this hunt, manhunt. And they caught him, I think, in Ottawa, on his way to Ottawa, one of the two. But we'll never get the whole story, or what he was actually carrying, and what his purpose was, uh, etc. It'll be withheld, I'm sure, from the general public. That's how things really happen. But, you know, they have thousands of these guys all over the place. So uh, you, you really hope they're, you know, rather than spying on all the general population, they're doing more spying on these particular characters who work in these fields, and who know exactly what to do to kill thousands or maybe even millions of people um, because the government's made sure through your tax money they've been trained awfully well. Uh, that's the sane world that we live in today, isn't it? That's what we're told. That's what we're told, and we're taught to believe it as well. Now, the European Union and the United Nations have been pushing for years and years and years for global taxes, and it really didn't fly so well in many countries. So they came up with the idea, of course, of global warming, carbon taxes, man-made global warming, all these kind of things. And now it's man-made climate change and to get a universal tax across the globe. Which, and it's pushed too by the, all the big corporations because they can, they can trade carbon credits and make uh, actual profits on them by doing so. But it's to go down to change the way of life, really. That's the big agenda of every individual down the ladder. Uh, the bottom of the ladder across the whole globe. So that's carbon taxes for you, and uh, energy taxes, etc., etc. It's all the same thing, and it also means great money income for all governments too, because they can charge these carbon taxes on everything and get taxes off of taxes and top of taxes, which they always do as well for all produce, etc., all sales, and you name it. Uh, so uh, all the energy that uh, they, they claim it took to manufacture whatever it is you purchase will be passed on to consumer and taxes. And then a part of that goes to government, the rest of it will go to supposedly international bodies and the big carbon traders uh, for this new derivatives scam across the globe. A carbon bubble, you might call it, a bubble of nothing, which is all in your imagination. And it's a great scam because it costs the ones at the top nothing at all. And they get lots of money for nothing, you see. It's, it's better than even the money scam that we have today. 
run by a few as well, the same few. But here you have the, the push now for carbon taxes, now that they've lowered gasoline to its present state, simply because of the, the, the wars that are ongoing. It's an economic war, remember, to put countries under, under who've counted on a certain income and investments to pay off their oil rigs, things like that, or their fracking industries across the world. Uh, so to, to, to make them pack, Venezuela's already pretty well gone under. And, uh, and other countries are, are following suit. Many uh, other guys had started off different rigs themselves through investments and so on, and they've fallen apart because the investors can't get the returns they expected now that the bottom's fallen out of the market. It's economic warfare, a big, big part of U.S. strategy, of course. And I say U.S., but it's really just uh, an international strategy by London, the U.S., and a few other countries. So it's just after the oil price a crash is time for a carbon tax, you see. So they've been floating the idea for years. They call these trial balloons for the ones that didn't years gone by to get you used to it, uh, uh, coming. And the more they say it, again, speaking it into existence, the more it, it, it embeds in your mind, it kind of vaguely, like through osmosis, as they say, without thinking through it too much. And so when it comes along, most folks say, oh, well, you know, I guess it was inevitable. And they don't ask why it's inevitable and, and what it really even is. Because it's a bogus, you see. It's a scam. Anyway, it says here that the reduction in oil prices should be a good opportunity. Remember what they always say, out of this crisis, we can, we can get a good, we've got an opportunity to do something for our agenda. And that's a standard CFR spiel. This is a good opportunity for Europe to put in place an appropriate tools, all the appropriate tools for combating climate change. So, again, as always, you've got an existence tax, which they call a, 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 a carbon tax. And to start the transition to a sustainable economy, meaning austerity for all of you. And it writes Alberto Maggiocci, Maggiocci. it's going to be Maggiocci or Maggiocci, this guy. Anyway, he's the professor of public finance at the University of Pavia, a very famous place, eh? <clears throat> a board member of the Centre for Studies on Federalism. And uh, so it says this uh, core uh, op-ed was first published as comment of the CSF on 19th January 2015. It's just over a year, the, the price of uh, Brent crude has plummeted from $107.78 to $47.44 a barrel over a fall of over 55%, a time when the European economy is suffering from a severe recession. Let's stop calling it a recession. It's a, it's a depression, for God's sake, you know. And looming deflation has yet to be dealt with outright by courageous decisions from the European Central Bank. And it's the banks that are going to profit too. The central banks pass all the carbon taxes up to the Rothschilds private bank in Switzerland for carbon taxes. Who put that idea forward? Lord Rothschild. <laughs> It says the reduction in the cost of energy should be a positive shock from the supply side and provide a boost in production. The problem is that Europe is primarily suffering from a lack of effective demand, so that measures which only act on the supply side are not sufficient. But the reduction in oil prices should also be a good opportunity for Europe to adopt important decisions to put in place the appropriate tools for combating climate change and to start the transition to a sustainable economy. So... The European Union has already been leading in this area for some time. The European Council meeting of 23rd-24th October 2014 defined an ambition, an ambitious strategy regarding climate and energy, maintaining the same target set in 2007 for an 80% reduction in CO2 emissions by 2050. 
The Council decided on a 40% decrease in emissions of greenhouse gases in 2030 compared to 1990. The annual reduction in the cap on emissions under the emission trading system, emissions trading system, eh, will be taken from 1.74% to 22 in 2020. The emissions from the ETS sectors must reduce by 43% compared to 2005. Well, regardless of all these ridiculous percentages, the fact is you're all going to get suckered folk and screwed silly until you're utterly broke in austerity. And the car must be put on all... Uh, manufactured processes, basically, uh, where any carbon at all they claim is released in the production of it, even in the electricity cost, how it was made and so on, uh, to make that wrapper for your chocolate bar. So you're going to all get well and truly screwed with this. And uh, it's a fantastic slavery technique, but it's an existence tax, really. Remember, you're carbon-based units, human beings. That's what we are. So carbon tax is simply an existence tax for all you who don't get it. Slavery, and under another name, uh, we've had many many forms or covers or camouflages for slavery. It's just the same darn thing again. And then we have this one here too. Carbon pricing set to cover 80% of Canadian economy. And uh, Canada's federal government has fiercely resisted any efforts to impose a national carbon pricing system. Uh, it says over 8% of Canada's economy could be covered by carbon tax by the end of 2015. See how fast they get it in? But while the going's good, you see. After the province of Ontario announced it would release plans to price greenhouse gas emissions. Interior Environment Minister Glenn Murray told local media he'd unveiled a strategy later this year, promising it would be efficient, effective and economically positive. The province, which is home to 40% of Canada's population, will join Quebec and British Columbia in enforcing tougher climate laws. Well, this is the end of it, I'm telling you. It's time to move. British Columbia's tax of $30 per tonne of carbon is credited with a 16% fall in fuel consumption across the province, although cement makers are amongst those claiming they have lost business as a result. Uh, remember, too, that includes your heating oil and everything else, and even propane heaters. Or whatever. It doesn't matter what you're using. It's just going to be carbon taxes and your gasoline. In an interview with the RTCC last month, Murray said he'd been in talks with California and Quebec with a view to linking up with their existing carbon markets. We've given up that the national government will eventually introduce a price in carbon. And that was a big effective tool that they used a while back. They didn't want to get federal government getting blamed for anything. So they started to, to get uh, the, the so-called elected leaders of the provinces in league with some of the U.S. leaders of the states uh, to come together and form little coalitions. Again, it's no law that this can be done. And, and, and we accept it as though it's all, not, it's all law and everything else as we get screwed into the ground. This is how things are done now, by private clubs, basically. And it says the Prime Minister Stephen Harper announced he's never going to have a price in carbon, so we have to look at this sub-national level. Uh, California and Quebec are members of the Western Climate Initiative and could soon be joined by Washington State. And now I mentioned all that stuff last week as well. So it's a, it's a done deal, folks. And this big world community who are owned by the big masters of the universe who control money and finance and corporations and all the rest of it, have given them their marching orders. Do it now. It's quite simple. We have no say in anything here, you know. 
And folk won't get up and protest anything in any organised group because they can't get organised without incredible financing and the authority of the United Nations. That's why the big boys create the United Nations to make sure only their NGOs and so on would have all the training to, to push things forward. And there could be no opposition without the cash and the organisational abilities and leaderships, etc. And this article here too is from the Hindu, it's called. This is India can display bold leadership by imposing a carbon tax on all fossil fuels in proportion to carbon dioxide emissions. And they're going to put all prices plummeting since 2014 June by almost 60%. And it's obviously proved to be a bonanza for all important countries like India, just as it has seriously hurt oil-producing nations like Russia and Iran. The fall has been uh, unexpected. That's a nonsense. Nothing that happens on a scale like this is unexpected. It's part of strategy and various warfare techniques of the economic specialists, you see. And they go on about the added to the mystery as the behavior of Saudi Arabia, the traditional swing producer in OPEC, which has chosen not to cut production in order to boost prices. Well, they're in cahoots with the U.S. They always have been and the big magnets of the world. The main reason now being uh, adduced for the oil price decline is the re-emergence of the U.S. as a major hydrocarbon producer because of the exploitation of its substantial shale deposits. Lower than anticipated demand, especially from countries like China, and anemic economic growth in Europe have added to the pressure. As to the response of Saudi Arabia, the best guess is it doesn't want to lose market shares like it did last time when it cut output to keep prices up. And then going through through the usual bamboozling nonsense that really is, is not worth reading. But it says, re, uh, revisiting an old idea. Whatever it be its backdrop, the current oil price scenario offers the right moment, again, the right moment, or seize the moment, right, for the international community. What is this international community? Are you part of it? Do you get to vote and say it? Do you, do you even get invited to anything to, to talk or even listen? No. It's as fake as the you know the the, the bubble of, of carbon dioxide. The international community, as well as for major carbon emitter nations, to revisit an old idea that's been around for quite some time as a way of dealing with the challenge of climate change. And this is a carbon tax. Economists most agree that such a carbon tax is the way to go. Really, really, but it's faced tremendous political resistance, especially in the U.S. A couple of days ago, however, the influential economist Larry Summers who's been a close advisor to both President Barack Obama and former President Bill Clinton, came out publicly in its favor, pointing out that a tax of $25 per tonne of carbon would add just 25 cents to the price of gasoline. There have been other intellectually weighty voices in the past who have advocated a carbon tax, and they go through the different ones who have prattled on about it, all paid for you know, mouthpieces. And it says, it is the political resistance to any form of taxation, what the late uh, Sukhumov uh, Charavatsky says here, uh, the distinguished Indian planner had called the emerging fiscal sociology. <laughs> it's a sociology plan, really. You know? This led to systems of cap and trade being adopted to deal with the emissions problem. The EU has such a system. The Chinese have seven pilots and pilot projects. I've announced a, a national initiative beginning next year, and the Americans, too, are putting it in place for carbon emissions from power plants. The cap and trade, etc., uh, the Al Gore projects, yada, 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 yada. So it's all going to get passed on down to the consumer at the bottom, as you well know, and you're going to get mightily, mightily screwed, totally screwed, and your life reorganized into a new way of living. They've been prattling about this together, along with carbon taxes for years, 
uh, it's to bring you into a new way of living and, and be expert management of every facet of your life, even where you're going to live and how you can live, what you can heat yourself with and what you can't. And, in, and ultimately, if you need to heat yourself or not, depending if you can afford all the taxes on it. And don't forget that once they've got this little economic war with the gasoline at its present level, and they've shoved on the carbon tax, once they jack it back up to what it was, plus a, 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 an increase, of course, naturally, uh, you'll also have a higher carbon tax on it then as well. So it works together to eliminate the the... The automobile, basically, for private ownership. Don't forget for a second Agenda 21, the agenda for the 21st century, where it said they'll have you all in your little uh, assigned communities. They'll eliminate rural living for people unless they're absolutely essential, which means you work for a big international corporation who own the big farms, the international farms. And... Um, you will have no private vehicles. It said it would be essential vehicles only allowed in such communities. That's, that's what we to achieve all this century. And we're rushing ahead with all these con jobs in the meantime to get us there, folks. It's quite simple. Everything is a, an awful lie. By the way, it has been an awful lie your whole life long. Pretty well everything you're taught on a big scale. And then Ontario PCs launched petition against carbon tax so, so the, again, at the federal level, they have to go through the usual punch and judy show of, of we want it, no, you don't, boo, boo, and all that nonsense to keep the party image going that, that there's really parties that are different. And it says, an online petition opposing new carbon tax has been launched by the interior progressive conservatives. And then interim leader Jim Wilson has made an announcement Wednesday in Sudbury, where a by-election is underway to replace the NDP MPP Joe Climino, or Kimono. Or Kimino, maybe it was a couple, I don't know. Ontario families and businesses can't afford another tax, Wilson said in a statement. The Ontario Liberal government is considering some form of carbon prices, uh, pricing with a decision expected this spring. Premier Kathleen Wynne, she's the Premier of Ontario, has said the government needs a real plan to respond to, to, to climate change. Yeah, except the, this way when you said the sun's doing it and all your geoengineering projects are doing it too. The PC petition found on their website on OntarioPC.com says Ontario taxpayers have already been subjected to a health premium of 300 to $900 per person a $2 billion smart meter program, and green energy subsidies. That's okay. We're just, you know, the cattle at the bottom. And we also are cattle for, eh? the chattel. A carbon tax scheme would increase the cost of everyday goods, including gasoline and home heating, the petition says. And also, also increase the goods being transported to the stores, including all your food folks. The provincial government should abandon the idea of reducing yet another unaffordable and ineffective tax on Ontario families and businesses. It's nothing to do with saving the climate or anything like that. Nothing is a, a great, fantastic excuse for something else to manage your lives completely from birth to death. But what can you do about it again? Because... Pretty well, every politician's in the back pocket of the big boys at the top. They really are. What can you do in this present system? What can you do? So many stories are to do with geopolitics, and when you hear about the fracas in Ukraine and Russia and the Western involvement inside the Ukraine, 
it's all geopolitics, uh, incredible geopolitics going on. Everything has to do with economics by the big club at the top, you see, who want everything, all the world's resources, uh, world's slave population under lots of experts whom they, they'll pay off, of course, and actually pay to monitor us all, watch us and train us all and, you know, tweak our brains as we grow up to make sure we're all PC and we don't think of any, any nasty stuff. Now, the PC is not progressive conservative, it's, it's political correctness, you see, whatever ends the, the plan to be in vogue for the next 10 or 15 years before they put up, maybe it's even its opposite, you never know, because that's what they do with us, you see. But this article here was about Biden's son, which some folk I'm sure have followed for a while, uh, Kerry, a family friend, joined Ukrainian gas producers board. So the big boys, as always, who are involved in all these big things, and also do with carbon trading and, and Al Gore and all the rest of them, they're all involved in taking over the world's resources as well, as, as well as us. <laughs> so here they are. Here's Americans involved in, in Ukrainian gas producers board. And it says, Vice President Joe Biden's son, close family friend of Secretary of State John Kerry's stepson, have joined the board of the Ukrainian gas producer, controlled by a former top security and energy official, for deposed President Viktor Yanukovych. The move has attracted attention given Messrs. Biden's and Kerry's public roles in diplomacy towards Ukraine, where the U.S. expressed support for pro-Western demonstrators who toppled Mr. Yanukovych's Kremlin-backed government in February. In other words, they don't want Russia having all the, all the resources that they've got planned. Remember they had this, these, these pipelines planned from, oh, probably about 20 years ago or long before Gulf War One, and uh, all across the, the Middle East and into Europe and Ukraine and everywhere else and Kazakhstan's a big player as well uh, where the Rothschilds are involved with uh, various pipeline projects etc. So that all, it all meshes in together towards a geopolitical economic strategy you see in personal profit. So it's all in the family as always you see. And then it says Ukraine's gas company uh, Burisma enters Kazakhstan. So Burisma Holdings, the largest independent gas producer in Ukraine, has signed an agreement with the Kazakh National Oil and Gas Company Kaz Muni Gas, KMG. And this becomes the first Ukrainian company to develop an oil and gas resources in Kazakhstan together with KMG, the, the Ukrainian company said. And again, uh, Rothschilds is heavily involved in all this too from other articles I've read. But it says, agreement stipulates that Burisma Holdings, together with KMG, will conduct seismic and drilling operations for hydrocarbon exploration and production, as well as explore the possibility of building infrastructure in the territory of Kazakhstan. Uh, it's quite uh, amazing. And they also mentioned Biden's son and all the rest of it in this article as well. There's two articles on that. And then when you go into uh, oh, Scotland, you know, Scotland really has been the the toilet for London for a long time just to, to use for various projects and for warfare purposes as shock troops and lots of wars over centuries. And um, and there was loot, looted from the beginnings of the discovery of, of North Sea oil. I can remember that at the time they said that they wouldn't even put refineries in Scotland when they pipe all down to ones down in England to make sure the English had work down there. And that also they wouldn't give it to British companies to take the oil out of the North Sea. They would put up for bids from all different groups across Europe and elsewhere, and Norway and different countries to do the oil drilling. 
uh, Scotland was just a handy base for it to be for the rigs to be built in places like Ardor Sea and places like that by American companies. But it says here, uh, so the strong North Sea oil industry will be bailed out by the British taxpayers, Osborne admits. He said it's already cut taxes on North Sea oil to protect jobs. <laughs> I wonder whose jobs. And he said that he would take further steps at the budget to help. And he's revealed Scottish members of Parliament face ban on voting in parts of the budget and new spending powers for Scotland will be unveiled on Thursday, he said. Uh, Scotland's strong oil industry will be bailed up. The UK government, George Osborne, revealed. Uh, he also revealed the MPs representing Scottish uh, constituencies could be barred from voting <laughs> on parts of the budget after the election once the Edinburgh government has been handed sweeping new powers over tax and spending. That'll be the day. Uh, what's the point giving them sweeping powers over tax and spending when they've already looted and bankrupted the nation? The Chancellor, appearing before MPs in his Treasury Select Committee, said the government's support for the North Sea oil industry was only possible because Scotland had rejected independence in last year's referendum. He said the problems suffered by the industry reminds everyone of the risk of independence. The Institute of Fiscal Studies has revealed that an independent Scotland could have been up to £7 billion worse off as a result of falling oil revenue. Well, they'd have been awful lot richer if it was their oil in the first place all those years, since about the 70s. This is uh, Mr. Osborne lambasted predictions made by the SNP during the referendum campaign about the finances North Sea oil would generate for the nation as wildly optimistic, etc., etc. So, uh, the fate of Scotland was decided an awful long time ago. As I say, it's just a, a satrapy of the London banking boys. Uh, and that's what colonies are. It's really just a colony. That's what happens when you're taken over long ago. And then Russia's Gazprom says it will end gas transits through the Ukraine because, naturally, they know the West's wanting to grab all the... I, I hate to call it the West. I, even call, I hate calling places like England, England, because they're not run by themselves. They're run by the same bunch that run all the other countries, too, around there. London, they run from there. You know, the city, the big square-mile city that runs a good part of the world through their finan- heavy tr- financing and so on. So Russia's Gazprom says, well, end gas transits through the Ukraine. It says Russia's energy monopoly Gazprom announced Wednesday it would stop transmitting natural gas through Ukraine and urge its European customers to link up with a future pipeline to be built in Turkey or lose access to supplies. This came from Gazprom chief Alexei Miller during a visit to Moscow by European energy commissioner Maro uh, Sefkovic. The Slovak diplomat said he was very surprised by the statement. Miller's veiled threat came less than two months after Russia cancelled the South Stream pipeline, which was supposed to pump Russian gas to Bulgaria's Black Sea port of Varna, before extending overland through Serbia, Hungary and Slovenia. The $40 billion project fell victim to the European-Russian trade war that started earlier in 2014 when Russia occupied and annexed Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula. Well, I had no option but to do that, actually. The European Union and the United States responded by imposing economic and financial sanctions on Russia. So it's just economic warfare going on by the gangs who control uh, the US and, 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 and Britain and every other country and, uh, and, the, and the bunch that control Russia, really. The, the, the citizens don't have any, anything to do with anything, do we? We just pay up and we're told to. And also, this article too is to do with uh, Canada again and Canadian oil producers, it says. 
from the Globe and Mail, it says, oil prices are likely to remain subdued through the first half of the year and follow more of a U-shaped recovery pattern than the V-shaped pattern that typically follows such sharp price declines. She wrote this one. The TD, a communist... Uh, <laughs> communist. <laughs> the Trot Dominion economist expects the U.S. Bank benchmark to average just $53 in the second half of the year and $65 next year. And could uh, prices fell another 70 cents Friday to 45.6 and lost more than $3 in the week amid further evidence that global crude stocks are growing rapidly. The U.S. Energy Information Administration reported this week that inventories are at an 80-year high for this time of year. So it's just a temporary thing as big global agendas are carried through, folks. This is all this is. That's all it's about. And the, 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 the opportunity to throw in a carbon tax. Well, the general population will think, well, you know, what's a few cents since gas has got so cheap? Because the average person will think gas is going to be cheap forevermore. That's how people think, short-term thinking. And the major media is not going to say this is a, an economic war going on right now and it ain't going to last long. And you're going to get utterly, utterly um, shafted at the end of all. So that's how things really work in the world. Uh, everything's done for a good reason, and we're never given the real reason at the bottom. We're living in an all-out war upon all of us, across the world, actually. Remember to destroy all that was to bring in the new. That's how you must do cultural destruction. Uh, what you think is normal, normalcy, it must all go down the, the, the toilet and a new system of zaniness always appears zany at, at, at the beginning when they're really pushing for various things to, to, to come in and replace all that was, you see, to manage your minds, to make you almost schizoid in the way that you perceive things or think you perceive things because your perception is actually tampered with all the time to ensure that you perceive things the way that the masters want you to perceive things, your interpretation of things. And here's an, a, a typical article here. It says, 23 Hollywood mums were where else? With same sperm donor and one crazy vacation. Isn't it all fun, you see? That's how it's presented. Hollywood mums. You know, the ones that are kind of better than all of you. Hollywood mums, you know. The ones who, well, you don't want to know how they start their, their careers, believe you me. Uh, you've got to have awfully good uh, strong backs and things. It says, and that's just one fertility story of Hollywood where a booming baby business has sprung out of gay-friendly parental rights and existing new technology. It says, pick the eye color, freeze your ovaries. Isn't that wonderful? You see? And then he goes in, when Sarah Fain, a TV writer, producer for The Shield, whoever that is, and The Vampire Diaries, all very, very intellectual stuff, decided at 37 to be a single mum, she started online sperm donor browsing. It's like online dating, only you don't have to have a relationship with the person, she says. It's not, what if this is the love of my life? It's, this person doesn't have Alzheimer's in their genetic history. So it's about getting the right kind, you see, of eugenics, uh, uh, tampering and all the rest of it. Fane lined up a fertility uh, entourage that included a therapist, oh, naturally, naturally, an acupuncturist, all naturally, a nutritionalist and a private chef, all naturally, uh, for when she was too busy developing shows for Warner Brothers to cook. Just too too busy being a super mum, you know. I did acupuncture, herbs, tea, uh, I juiced wheatgrass daily for months because my reproductive endocrinologist said that anecdotally uh, people who didn't get, the preg- they didn't get pregnant, you see, 
if they're lacking certain things. Despite her efforts, Fane required two years and nine rounds of intrauterine insemination, which involved washing the ejaculate to up the sperm quality before injecting it into the uterus at about $1,500 a pop to conceive. At age 40, Fane had a girl named Violet. Uh, when Violet was a toddler, Fane took her to music uh, class where two women walked in with two boys about Violet's age. One of the boys looked familiar. Fane went home and checked her Facebook group comprising 15 families who had conceived with her same open donor. Open donation in which the donor's info can be released on the child's 18th birthday is a growing trend. See, they've got everything worked out now, you see. She says, they were, there they were, just a, a mile and a half away. And it says, uh, now they all have dinner every Sunday. Isn't that magic, eh? They're my family, says Fane. In September, the Facebook group rented a vacation house. Talk about crazy, there were 12 two-year-olds, said Fane, who added, it's one of those things that feels incredibly bizarre for half an hour, then it feels totally normal. See, they adapt awfully quickly in Hollywood. You can't have any hang-ups about anything in Hollywood. But anything at all. I really mean that. You get no work if you do. At a time when Apple and Facebook are picking up $20,000 tabs for employees. Now, who's pushing Apple and Facebook, right? Remember remember Facebook, too, were trying to get all your DNA and everything else, all your other knowledge about you? You wonder why? And the schmucks give it to them, too. Picking up $20,000 tabs for employees to freeze their eggs as well as offering other generous high-tech fertility benefits. It's clear that professional women have more and more options with assisted reproduction technology. Many of them will need it. At least one in eight couples overall suffer from infertility. Generally, generally it does when you, you try to conceive and it's two women. And much of that is due to delayed childbearing. Even as the U.S. birth rate is at an all-time low, multiple births have skyrocketed from fertility drugs and in vitro fertilization treatments involving multiple embryos. In 1980, there were 70,000 twins born in the U.S. In 2012, there were 131,269, along with 4,598 triplets and 276 quadruplets. Credit goes to the 450 high-tech fertility clinics in the U.S., 75 of them in California. Well, naturally, naturally, everything starts in California. The Centers for Disease Control keeps statistics on IVF success rates by age. Interesting. Why is the Centers for Disease Control? Anyway, it says um, many clinics in Los Angeles beat the national averages. California is widely regarded to be the most friendly state in terms of assisted reproduction, Attorney Richard Vaughn, whose twin sons with actor husband Tommy uh, Wolfel, whoever that is, were born with the help of an egg donor and surrogate mother. And they go into their lovely, lovely chat stuff and all that. I'm sure they're on Oprah and all that kind of stuff too, you know. This is even so media coverage of glowing uh, older uh, celibo moms from Hal Berry, who just had her second child, age 47, to Laura Linney, who gave birth to her first child in 2014 at 49, can mislead. Uh, my concerns when celebrities in their mid to late 40s announced their pregnancies. Guy Ringler of California Fertility Partners, one of Southern California's most in-demand clinics. He gives many people false hope they can get pregnant at any age. It's just not realistic. It's better you can, I mean, you can save your eggs and everything else too. You know, and you can even get other surrogate mums to carry the egg and all that through, uh, through pregnancy. This is, this is uh, getting everybody used to the idea 
of eugenics and brave new worlds where you'll get born and planned by the state down the road. That just leads to one thing leads to the next, to the next, to the next, you see. That's all it is. It's always done in this rah-rah, happy, happy thing, if you're a multimillionaire. And that article reminds me of the Frankfurt School, whose sole goal really was to destroy all the culture of the West completely, right down to the even said uh, necrophilia, then noted one. All morality had to be utterly destroyed to bring in a new system of domination over the people, you see, by the proper people, so they could control you properly, the proper people, you see. And they've done an awful good job of it, mainly through places like Hollywood and so on, because people follow the stars. They're such idiots. They do. They follow the stars. They, they don't see that they're tripping over things on the road as they're walking along, following the stars. And, uh, and, and they want everyone to, 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 to fantasize about that life. You see, always fantasize about it. Even want to be like these people. These robots, you see. Where everyone's their friend and darling. Is, and they're all sharks on each other down there in L.A., that's all they are. Sharks on each other. That's why they pretend, have this pretense of friendliness because each one can help you on get parts and this and parts and that, a better job and something or whatever it is. It's just a, they're all sharks on each other. They're not real people as such, you see. And they're avant garde and everything sexually because they have to be in that business. You can't have any particular moral stance on anything at all. This old-fashioned, you see, or what used to be called normal. Can't have it. You're, you're, you're pulled, blacklisted right away. It's like that. I will not put this link up, but it's from The Guardian. I, I didn't even bother looking it up. But it was sent to me where they're showing you a fashion show in Paris where apparently there's a fashion parade held recently and the, the, I guess you call them metrosexuals on the runway had these, uh, some kind of pants with, with the cuts away at the top, the legs or something, so they could show the little peepees off to the public. You know, they don't call it gay Paris for nothing, but it's, this is what it's come down to, folks. You know, it's, it's just, I mean, fashion has nothing to do with wearable clothing. It's, it's art, you see, it's art. You see, it's always called art. And so they, they try to get to, uh, as much exposure, literally exposure as they can, in any, any way that they can, by do, doing things that are outrageous. But, I mean, this is what's coming down to, uh, just uh, bizarre nonsense of exhibitionism. Really, that's what it is. And so you have the Hollywood mums in a big... A big Big PR thing to, to, to make this the, the, the trendy thing to do, you see, for women who've got money to do. This is the way to go. It's trendy. And then the, the, the idiots follow the stars, as I say. And then you've got this nonsense in Paris and, um, and, and so on as culture goes down the tubes. Mind you, I mean, I guess in this day and age, folk can enjoy in any kind of club they want to and go and see a lot worse than that. And this is it's called freedom today. The problem is this kind of freedom often lends itself to a lot of perverse uh, tamperings with children and things like that. You see, this is a, this is the problem with lots of it. But 
uh, that's what we accept in this day and age. Eventually, there'd be no such thing as pedophilia, anything like that. And under the rights of the child, as they expand it from United Nations, their goal is to literally uh, introduce masturbation, common masturbation in schoolrooms. That was discussed a few years back. I read all the articles on there at the time. Go into cutting through the com archives, and you'll see that. And uh, and and then they'll, they'll say, well, it's it's, it's wrong to allow a, a, a to not allow a child to have sex with someone if they choose to, even if they're five years old. I mean, this is where it's all meant to go. For those who don't quite get it, and it will in your lifetime, you'll see this pretty shortly, actually. And here's the new thing too: as they go through this terrorism, is wonderful, isn't it? It's, it's the greatest anti freedom movement of all, uh, this war on terror, to make sure that under the guise of terror, you can take all rights and freedoms away. And this article is from RT. It says, universities should be exempted from new counter-terrorism laws because they restrict freedom of speech, the government's human rights watchdog has said. The Joint Committee on Human Rights said government plans to make universities legally obliged to refer suspected would-be terrorists, this is like pre-crime, to the authorities would undermine academic freedom. Under the bill, Home Secretary Theresa May would be given authority to face or force universities to ban speakers who are called or considered extremists. Now, again, it's like the word terrorism itself, extremist it could be extremist views on anything. And, and extremists, remember, speaking the truth in a total, under a totalitarian regime is a revolutionary act, according to George Orwell. Something like that, you know, to paraphrase it. Anyway, it says, um, The warning comes before the Counter-Terrorism and Security Bill's second reading in the House of Lords Tuesday. May's bill, introduced to Parliament in November last year, is likely to receive a boosted support in the wake of the terrorist attacks in France last week. Committee members are concerned about a legal duty that would require universities to refer students at risk of becoming terrorists, again pre-crime, to external anti-radicalization programs. See, everything's going to come down to, to reprogramming you if you're not politically correct on anything. And I mean from birth to death. That's what the Gerfec project in Scotland is. And if the same progr- program coming out in other countries too, a government-appointed guardian who will take you to, to psychological tests and so on, Every month, and it makes sure that you're, you have no extremist views or you haven't perceived something because of an incident you've had that'll make you anti this or anti that, you know. So, universities would also be required to ban extremists from speaking on campuses. And then it goes on to talk about um, Parliament's human rights watchdog, made up of MPs and peers. <clears throat> says it is concerned about the implications for both freedom of expression and academic freedom as a result of the applicability of the proposed new duty to universities. Fear to comply with the new duties would result in direct intervention by the Secretary of State and ultimately a mandatory court order backed by criminal sanctions for contempt of court. The committee also argued that terms such as extremist are ambiguous. Well, naturally, that that's what they're meant to be, you see. This is a broad term such as extremist or radical are not capable of being defined with sufficient precision to enable universities to know with sufficient certainty where they risk being found to be in breach of the new duty. Dr. Highwell Francis, Labour MP and Chair of the Committee, said, as open and rigorous debate about ideas is itself one of the most powerful tools in the struggle against terrorism, 
and extremism which often breeds terrorism. This is surely counterproductive. Martin Hall, former vice-chancellor of the University of Salford, also voiced opposition to the proposed bill, calling it draconian. Well, no kidding. We understand this to be across the whole of society. And every little tweet you've put out there before and every email you've sent out with some viewer, it's all been checked out, folks, checked out meticulously for the future for when they come calling on you for having some extremist viewpoint on something or other under the guise of terrorism until you can't see the truth about anything at all. That's what's coming down to, and it's meant to. Step by step by step. They call this progress, you know. You always find that strange word called progress. We're in the age of progress. And, and various organizations call, we're progressive. We're, we're going towards, what are, we going to, what are we going towards? Is there a signpost somewhere that says, you have reached progression? No, it's, not, it's always going towards progress. As we have all these weird things happening that, that destroy everything that used to be To bring in the new And the state is going to be God And the world state is a super God, you see Super God Whoa, wow Birth to death You can't have a thought of your own down the road Without them getting into your, tinkering with your brain And find, oh, you can't have you, can, you can't hold that opinion And they'll tweak you, you see So you don't have it anymore and we'll all be the same, like clones of each other, prattling the same nonsense and being awfully smiley happy. Because we're all politically correct, you see. Isn't it just wonderful, a wonderful nightmare, isn't it? Well, from Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada. But it's incredible, awful weather. It's good night to me. Your God, your gods, go with you. <laughs> <laughs> 